And now for a word from our sponsors. Are you fed up with hearing about the modern data stack only to realize that what it really means is buy these half dozen expensive tools and install them all just to get the data you need? You need right data. We combine the tools you need to turn raw data into trusted data for your business users, all in a single, modular, no-code platform. Easily do batch or streaming ingest, transform data, and build and orchestrate pipelines in our Data Factory Data Engineering module. The tools essential to delivering high-quality, reliable data through data observability, profiling, and ML-powered business rule generation are all in our Data Trust module. And to make it easy for users to find and take action on all that trusted data. Data Market is the next-gen catalog that makes it easy for users to find data products, to request access, and to start using the data through APIs, connectors, or even generative AI-powered data analytics. Get a free trial and learn why companies like Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, and General Electric chose right data for their data teams and how you can cut your data stack costs by 50% at GetRightData.com. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. Episode 269, a panel leading a data mesh implementation, and this is our second iteration. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host and facilitator Vanessa Eriksson, who is the first CDO in Sweden, as well as the head of her own data advisory company, Vanessa Eriksson AB, facilitated a discussion with Duncan Cooper, who is the chief data officer at For Northern Trust Asset Servicing, Sid Shaw, who's the head of data monetization and platform at Airtel, as well as the guest of episode 258, and Stefan Zima, who's the data transformation lead at RBI, or Avrafaisen Bank International, as well as guest of episode 270. As per usual, all guests were only representing their own views. The topic for this panel was the leader's role in a data mesh implementation and how do you actually lead a data mesh implementation forward based on what these four panelists have learned from serving in that role. As I mentioned, this was the second iteration of this panel. We will likely have 
you know, more of these every six months or so. The first episode was episode 215 from April of 2023. So I'll probably have these about every six months, if not sooner. And personal note, um, for all of these panels, I always share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of each of the panelists' views individually. So I've got my top eight takeaways. Number one, regarding data mesh, get going, but don't rush. Essentially, get started now, but don't be in a hurry to try to get some to some picture-perfect end state. You need to take your time to make sure you are transforming instead of making changes that will unravel. Be brave and move forward into some uncertainty, but you can get going now. Number two, relatedly, you will absolutely get many things kind of quote-unquote wrong, but wrong in a data mesh world and data mesh sense can simply mean not right yet. We have ways to adapt, adjust, and evolve as we learn and grow about how to do data mesh. Data mesh provides you the ability to iterate towards better constantly. Number three, you really should look to take inspiration and learnings from other data mesh implementations. Presumably you're doing that since you're listening to data mesh radio. But also you should understand that your journey will look considerably different, especially your starting point and your initial focus areas. If you aren't prepared to adjust data mesh for your own situations, you aren't ready to do data mesh. SID especially is focused on learning from other implementers and leveraging them to create create credibility internally. Go listen to his episode if you want to see more about what he did to do that. Number four, stop treating data problems as technical problems. At least start to treat them as business problems first with a technology angle, but really they are socio-technical problems. You know, social business challenges married to technical challenges wrapped in trying to share understanding. It's kind of that whole people process technology and people most importantly when we think about what we're actually trying to do with data. Data challenges, data problems are data problems. They're not technical problems. Number five, relatedly, as Stefan said, data mesh is much more about mind shifts, mindset shifts than it is about technology shifts. You need to show people new ways of working and guide them towards value. If you don't, you are very likely won't change how people work with data and won't deliver the promised value of data mesh. And then if you're not delivering that value, you will probably lose your your sponsorship, right? If you're not showing and proving out value, why would people continue to invest in this initiative? Number six, while data mesh can be a powerful paradigm, One of the best things about it is giving us common framing and ways of speaking about what what you are trying to do and accomplish. Now, on personal note here, this is partly why I created the Data Mesh community, this podcast, and my company, you know, Data Mesh Understanding, to make it easier to share information with each other about how to do Data Mesh, both with other implementers and within your own organizations. Number seven, There will be pushback from many parties to many aspects of data mesh. Be prepared for that and help people understand the reasoning behind the changes. What do these changes enable you to do? You know, such as you aren't pushing data ownership onto domains simply because the central data team is is lazy, right? It's that they are the ones with the knowledge and skill to actually own their data well. 
Show them why this matters. Why are you doing this? And then finally, number eight, there are many big challenges in data mesh, but the biggest is probably getting and then retaining buy-in across many different groups. If you don't have leadership buy-in, what happens when you hit challenges? Do you still have funding? If teams won't take on data ownership, can you move forward? And then as uh, per usual, there's more, there's 12 more of my key takeaways in the show notes if people want to look through those as well. Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves. Welcome, everybody, to this fantastic data mesh uh, talk. Um, I have, I'm the moderator, Vanessa Eriksson, and I'm in Sweden, and I'm so happy to have a, a panel here with people all over. Uh, Stefan is, um, they're going to introduce themselves to you, but Stefan is in Austria, Duncan in the UK, and Sid in India. Sid, what you don't know is I'm also Indian. And I know Airtel. So, yes. But, hey, uh, I hand over to you guys first before taking over. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, you want to go first? Sure. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this talk also from my side. Super happy to be here. Uh, my name is Stefan Zima, working at Ryerson Bank International Universal Bank with focus in Central and Eastern Europe. And uh, we're on a data mesh journey there. We're transforming into a data company with data products that you can consume in self-service, that we have the tools of the technology that you have this properly in modern terms with open systems and everything around the modern data strategy and modern data handling. So it's very exciting to be here to share a few and learn more about the colleagues. Thanks, Stefan. Um, Sid, would you like to go? Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. Um, this is Sid. I run the data product and analytics team here at Airtel. Airtel's a large telco, 350 million customers uh, based out of India. Uh, we've, uh, you know, as a telco, we we uh, you know we have a lot of data that we we collect, uh, and you know uh, trying to make use of this data is 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 something that uh, that every business wants to do. How do we kind of make this uh, democratizable? Is essentially how we started our mesh journey. Uh, been probably about a year in into this, and would love to share experiences uh, and learn from the others as well. Ah, super, Duncan. Just FYI, you're not the last this time. I would be the last. So. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, it, it's a real pleasure to be here and, and to meet you all. Uh, my name's Duncan Cooper, uh, Chief Data Officer for Northern Trust Asset Servicing, uh, a large American and global bank. Um, I suppose it's fair to say we are on a data journey ourselves and a data mesh does feature quite heavily within this. Um, previous to, uh, to joining Northern Trust, I actually worked at HSBC where I was sponsor of our data mesh. Um, 
we didn't even realize we were building a data mesh until we started building a data mesh. So it's very much a learning journey and educational for me. And uh, anything I can share and anything I can pick up, I, I hope to do so from this session. Ah, super. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then lastly, um, I'm Vanessa Erickson. Um, I think I've been working with data for all of my career. Um, I, I believe I've been I've been the first chief data officer officially appointed in Sweden. Um, I used to work at uh, at uh, Tenia, which is uh, Sweden's largest network uh, telecommunications. Um, and most recently, uh, I've been at Zenzact as chief digital officer, where I was responsible for data, cybersecurity, and IT. Uh, Zenzact um, is a really cool company. It's a startup, 100% um, owned by Volvo, and uh, it's a software company developing um, software for self-driving cars. Really, front you know frontier technology is what I call it. Um, so yeah, and um, so if we start to get into the conversation, you know, at Zenzact right from the start. Um, we started to build a data mesh architecture uh, and kind of looks, you know, kind of creating the platform to say, how would this look like? Because at that point, we believed we would have a lot of data uh, sources, data domains. Um, so I was really disappointed when the whole strategy changed. Uh, we got bought by Volvo Cars, 100% owned by them. Um, and then we, together with my enterprise architect, we thought, well, it doesn't really add a lot of value now. Uh, you know, if you've got, you don't have that many sources, um, that would this really add any value to us? So that's why we we scrapped the, the architecture. And uh, yeah, so that's where we were. Uh, today, I sorry, I have my own uh, advisory, um, Vanessa Erickson AB, and it's really fun to um, to work with other companies. Um, that's about me. So, if we go back to my conversation, where you know, I that's as far as I got with a scrapped architecture uh, drawing. Um, um, Sid. Let's let's start with you. Uh, not only am I Indian and I feel really close to you, but uh, you know uh, the telco industry is some is is something that I've worked with worked for over let's say fifteen years, um, both uh, eight years at Telia and then uh, Ericsson and Sony Ericsson. So if you you know uh, what is your view on the data mesh and its significance in the telco industry today? See, uh, it's interesting that. You know, in in the journey that you were uh, you, you were talking about, Vanessa, uh, uh, you were talking about you know you 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 kind of thought of data mesh as something as a strategy to start with, right? Uh, we we were in a very different space, Vanessa. Uh, telecom in India got consolidated uh, over and over for the last 10, 15 years, which they basically meant uh, companies got acquired in the process, right? Which then means that the systems were all disconnected and broken. Um, we started there, uh, and you know, Airtel is a twenty-five-year-old company uh, in that sense. And so, uh, while we are fairly data-driven, the data seemed fairly broken five years back. Um, 
so then we started putting all the data together into one place uh, that seemed like the the coolest thing to do is to bring to break all the silos and so we built a whole large data lake uh, only to then realize it started powering everything but then it also crippled everyone because you know uh, there were only a limited set of engineers who could use that data lake uh, you know while we poured every data into that data lake we we really didn't pay significant attention to the governance of that data and you know the metadata so we landed into a whole lot of trouble um uh and 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 therefore while while questions where questions were getting deeper and deeper about data and you know uh, uh understanding of customers etc we you know there were only a limited of set of people who could kind of use this data we were not very sure of the quality of the data we were continuously trying to fix and patch all of these these were the problems we started with and uh, these were the problems we wanted to go and solve for it just so incidentally happened that when we just chanced upon data mesh and we realized oh shit this is all this is these are exactly the same problems uh you know very nicely codified uh you know the both the problems and the uh, and the solution or, or or a thought process a framework and that's where this kind of stuck to us and we kind of marched along this journey in fact actually scott and the data mesh radio helped quite a lot because that's when we started getting we opened up to pretty much the entire world of data mesh and realized oh there are so many more people who are doing the same thing um so it it we chanced upon it in some ways but then you know once we did i think that's been our journey of trying to you know codify what we are really trying to do and call that mesh as an approach of of working and that has really catapulted in the organization now people really understand this concept that that's really cool um because that was my also my thinking you know i mean i started with a strategy first uh and you were like more hands on getting there and then discovering it so yeah the question is uh, uh and and i think here it's it's important that we all have our own views on the topic um you know figuring out what is the best way forward um Uh, Duncan, uh, I mean, uh, you and Stefan are both in the finance and the banking industry. What's your take on this? Um, yeah, I think I think um, level setting. I think it's safe to say that the data mesh concept fits really nicely within financial services, partly because a lot of the data that we're using within financial services tends to be coming from different functional silos, but is actually the same shape. So, you know, a transaction is just a transaction, a, a position and a holding is just a position and a holding, but they can come from multiple different systems. And and part of that challenge has been because most organizations have grown up organically. It can be through mergers and acquisitions, it can be from bringing in uh smaller banks into your larger organization. Um it can be from from sometimes the challenge of agile and i know agile's very uh, popular as a delivery mechanism but that that laser customer focus can sometimes mean that you're very focused on just solving one problem and data tends to be more than just one problem so sometimes it can be a little bit of a challenge and i think it's safe to say that historically we've looked at things as technically led so we've looked at data problems and said ah the technologist team should solve this or we'll bring in some people who can advise us on how to dip build our technology and and kind of what i love about the data mesh is it takes it away from just being a technical solution 
and turns it into a business problem, or, or even more accurately, turns it into a data problem. And I think when you look at financial services, literally every organization out there is like a great big data factory. It's about bringing data in. It's about munging and manufacturing your own data. And it's about delivering data out. So if we think in terms of factories and we think in terms of data consolidation, aggregation and delivery, then a lot of what the data mesh kind of brings us as an approach forces us to think in terms of data first. So business processes, technology, but most importantly, data as a separate discipline. And for me, that I think that's the, the big standout for me. Oh, cool. Uh, I love that, uh, you know, because it, I think also in my entire career where I've heard it, you know, data, oh, you know, go to IT. Uh, and yeah, I really love what, what you have just said because it, I mean, it doesn't have to be just the business. You can work together with technology, but it, it can't be the IT or, you know, go to tech, let them solve this for you. Uh, thanks, thanks, Balkan. Stefan, what do you have to add to that? So, so first and foremost, I'm nodding my head already since 10 minutes because what my colleague said it is, is so clever and I feel very close to both, actually, as you said, Vanessa. First, I did a genetics test. I have a few percentage of the British Irish. Okay. Back and we're good. And we worked on our data mesh journey with Indian colleagues because there was a lot of expertise as there is so much knowledge uh, with the Indian consultancy and, and, and data experts out there. And I can tell you that the data mesh term in our organization is less important than what all the colleagues had around it. Data became such an important part and a strategic roadmap in the heart of business-driven decisions, making our processes better, thinking about we, how much data we need in banking and finance as a group to improve our offers and services and just be on the edge for a good customer experience, right? And this grew up over the time. So technology is not the problem. Technology was built up on the edge anyhow. Streaming came, APIization came. We have now built up a data catalog. We have going into this discussion of the modern data governance. But these are all prerequisites to say, and now let's have this data mesh journey at all. Because for what does it stand for us? It means you have to have a proper governance, a sit set. This is the biggest thing that you need high quality data products. Otherwise, you don't have trust and reliable data. You need to have access to this data, otherwise you don't find it, you don't get it. You have a time to date of months, which is blocking every business value that you might have. So you need to get over this issue. And then you need data literacy in your company, which means you need to teach the people that the ecosystem exists, which is exactly what Duncan says. It's not an IT problem. I'm not throwing stuff over the fence and hope that somebody does it for me. I should be as close to the data producer as a consumer as I can be and do the things end to end nicely. When we're also working in an agile environment, thankfully, so this is also some kind of a prerequisite, I would say, to get this mindset of data ownership in, in a proper way, to take the responsibility for the data quality that you stand for, but also to not sit on it and protect it and please don't touch my data because we're a bank and we have bank secrecy and we're super, super afraid, but to be proud and incentivized to share it, right? Let's use the treasury that we have. And this is a huge organizational mindset shift it's not a technical revolution. And this is the interesting part of it. I, I like that. But I'm thinking, I mean, especially for you guys in the in the finance and the banking, how do you then uh, tackle the whole data security, data privacy aspect of it when, when working in a data mesh? That's, that's a very good question. We, I'm just starting because I, I had this recently. Everything that we do is not like building a silo, right? It has to done holistically. So IT security is, of course, part of the cybersecurity is working with the platforms. 
we have established a group data protection officer to guide the local data protection officers because they feel secure. They have a different risk appetite. They have a different interpretation of law. And this is a very, very thin ice of saying, I do my job amazingly if I say don't touch anything because then nothing goes wrong, right? But we want to enable business. So if you don't do this change holistically with the sense of urgency from all the departments, and this has to come top down and bottom up, so it has to meet in the middle, you don't get anywhere. So this is how we tackle it. Yeah, I, I, I would kind of add to that. I suppose from my perspective, when I look at data, it's about looking at which direction someone's coming from. So we tend to break it into defensive data, offensive data, technology, and business or operating model. And it, you kind of touched on it, that defensive data, that governance, ownership, lineage, tracking, traceability, and security of the data is a key foundational po component. We need to tie that with our other four quadrants. We need to look at how do we build the offensive data products? How do we get information into our customers and our, our internal partners' hands? How do we build the technology that supports these capabilities? And how do we look at our operating model? And, uh, you know, it's very easy to say democratizing data. But it, in some ways, this is, this is like replanning your entire data culture. And cultural change within an organization is not something that happens immediately. This is, this is a journey, and we have to show people the way sometimes. So... I think it's important that we look at all four aspects of those uh, of those quadrants when you're trying to deliver it. I totally agree that control, governance, quality, and ownership is a very key component for financial services, but it's not the only one we need to look at. Agree, agree. Uh, Duncan, at the start, you said, uh, you know, we we didn't know that we were what we were doing was a data mesh. Um, could you elaborate a little? I'm, I'm really I'm very curious to hear more. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it was a um, it was a funny morning. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> it's uh, we'd been looking at building out a, a data lake um, within HSBC for uh, a couple of months, and we were bringing together various sets of structured and unstructured data, and we were looking at this as a, a technical and an engineering problem. And interestingly enough, we were bringing in accounting data from a variety of systems. And I was having a conversation with our technology team, the, uh, the esteemed Sonny Jaisinghani, who's a, a regular on the uh, Data Mesh Radio uh, podcasts. Um, but we were having a conversation and I said, um, look, we, this is all the same data. It's coming from different sources, different systems. But there's no reason why we cannot aggregate this and turn it into one consolidated data set. So we'd always been pushing towards uh, what I would describe as business-orientated data domains. And um, I, I had a, a, a Teams call from Sonny. He goes, you've got to come and have a look at this. And uh, I went down, and he was looking at a blog post from, uh, from Zamac uh, around the concept of data mesh. And the best way I can describe it is it was a bit like that Spider-Man memo you see on the uh, on the internet where there's like three Spider-Men all pointing at each other. And Sonny was saying, that's exactly what we're doing. And I'm like, that is exactly what we're doing. Let's have a read into this. Is it something that we can leverage to maybe put a label on? Because it's very easy to say we're building a data lake, but then the nuances of what we were doing were very specific around data. And it was lovely to to have a, a product name, a, a concept, uh, something to tie to that when we say data mesh, 
people immediately resonate with and they understand what that is trying to achieve. So for me, that was that was a great outcome. Um, even though we then kind of changed course and we did some different things to more closely align with some of the concepts of the uh, the data mesh. Okay, so you believe that people get it. You know, when you talk data mesh, people get it. I mean, in the organization, because what what I I mean, th- the concept has been around for a while now, um, and uh, I think there are still quite a few misconceptions about you know like what is a data you know what is a data mesh. Um, anybody that wants to go, you know, what is some of the misconceptions that you've heard of? No, I would just ask Duncan honestly, like because he is like maybe the, the the longest on the journey. Has like when we went agile, some people also said like this is how I work already since years. Like fine, I'm already agile, right? Check. With data mesh, I didn't hear this that often, but I see the data mesh. You can do the theory from the book, but in the end, you have to adapt it to your organization anyhow. So you anyhow do your data mesh. You know, you do your system of data. So just maybe throwing back the question to the other colleagues: Do you also see this like this? We have to adapt to us. And maybe Duncan, you had to adapt to HSBC, and so you have to now also mingle your way through. I don't know. Uh, I, I was just going to say, Duncan, when you were explaining your process of discovering data mesh, that was so very identical to how we also just chanced upon it. I, I distinctly remember the day when we when we read through those uh, blogs, and we were like, uh, "Oh shit, this looks like data mesh, and uh, this looks like what we are doing." And then started ordering books for the entire team to say, "Go read this now." <laughs> read the whole thing and then let's uh, let's start uh, understanding this better right and so i think uh, you no know, one of the big 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 questions and big myths uh, generally I'm, i mean there have been many many things that we've had to kind of uh, shape to kind of um, fit our organization but i think couple of things is uh, are you know we realized when we were centralizing a lot of the uh, uh, data we also started centralizing a lot of responsibility of that data and so when we were trying to federate the responsibility back i think that was starting to become a a a problem of sorts right because all of a sudden now we are asking some other f- team members to kind of start you know governing this data to start cataloging this data better where the responsibility was otherwise just for the central team to kind of figure out right and so i think a big myth was you know are you just throwing the ball on the other side are you just trying to kind of uh you know uh, uh get away from the work that you were supposed to do uh, and i think we 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 had to kind of explain why this is important for the organization and and why you know we can't sustain beyond the, the next couple of years if we don't do this well um you know otherwise we'll just keep throwing more and more people at the problem and 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 so that was one very big piece that we had to kind of shift uh, mindset of venessa i i was going to i was going to add to it what well, one of the things that we found works really well is not being overly dogmatic what a data mesh look like at hsbc what a data mesh looks like at nt they're adapted they're evolving um and in many ways what we look and plan to do over the next two to five years will be wrong and that's okay because we're going to adapt and adjust to what happens um what i like about the data mesh concept is it gives us a label One of the challenges with giving a label is, of course, what does that really mean? And what does that really mean for me as an individual and as an organization? So sometimes 
think it's the I'm gonna use a lot of Spider-Man memos here. It's the great power comes great responsibility concept. You know, you give people the concept of the data mesh and you say, look, you, you are a producer, you are a consumer, you have responsibilities, you have a role in society now. But we're not going to tell you exactly what to do. We're not going to define it tightly. We're going to allow you to evolve and adjust. And that is a cultural change. I keep going back to culture, but I think it's incredibly important that we're looking at a technology, but actually what we're trying to do is change a culture of an organization and the way it interacts and thinks about data. The data mesh is a label, is a tool to force that through, but the cultural change will naturally have to come as you go through that journey. Exactly. And that, let me just add to this, Duncan. I think this was a very, very important statement now for all the listeners in our podcast here today. Don't get fooled by too many data mesh experts out there. Everybody who tells you he has all the answers or she did it already 20 times or she's in this topic since 10 years, this it is not true. Like This can't be true. Like Most of the journeys, be it maybe one a little bit earlier, one a little bit later, is we're finding our ways right now. And you get support. You maybe have partially POCs and you have people that transform the data warehouse area or you transformed a certain you know business domain or something but there is no the expert out there so please be warned guys and rather rather try and test and get your hands dirty on the journey then think you can buy it out of the box from somewhere thanks Steph time that was good advice to everybody listening <laughs> but okay I I'm going to I, I I'm I have a point here to to kind of check with you. Because I'm thinking, you said, we're not going to tell you how to work. But at the same time, I hear all of you saying, you know, the governance part, the metadata part is so, so crucial. And I'm thinking that at least for, from a data governance perspective, the terminology, you know, the how you, you, you call a consumer a consumer and not a customer. I mean, from somewhere that has to be centrally driven, right? Because otherwise... You know, yes, you can have each domain go and do their own little, you know, whoa, we're going to read. Because that's the challenge that we had in uh, one of the one of the companies. Um, you, you know, they started to just build their own and create their own structures without, and, and they didn't, didn't quite understand, you need to talk to the others as well. Yes, you can do your own. And how did you then address, you know, issues like that? Um. I suppose uh, the parallel I use is it's very much like society itself. Um, I live in the UK. We're a democracy. We have a concept of freedom. You know, we're allowed to say certain things. We're allowed to do certain things, but within the controls of society. And so, for example, I can drive my car to the shops. I can't drive my car to the shops at 150 miles an hour. That is against the law, it's dangerous, and it causes risk to other people. What we look at in terms of data culture is those laws, those restrictions in society. Yes, you can use your car for whatever you want to. You can go to the shops or you can drive to the park, but we're limiting the speed that you can drive at and we're giving you rules on which side of the road to drive, and I realise that can vary depending on country. But, you know, we're, we're telling you, you must stop at a red stoplight. Um, these are just controls or laws or regulations that we give in society. We're used to this. 
So from a concept of data democratization, it is. You're in a democracy. But a democracy doesn't mean an anarchy. You still have responsibilities to society and you still have rules. So I tend to think of it in those terms. Does that mean that we've got the perfect rules and the perfect legal system? No, but no country has. You know, it's an evolution. And it's still across the red light once and paid. So not my fault. I didn't see it, but my fault. But <laughs> oh, that that was a good one. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, so you know, yes, while I hear you say not everything, uh, some things are a bit more challenging. So if you had to say, so what is the most challenging aspect of working with a data mesh? Uh, Sid, why don't we take you this time um, first? Um, I, I think uh, getting the buy-in and getting getting actually the buy-in to kind of do you know go in this direction from the leadership and um, and 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 make sure that the leadership has consistent focus to kind of drive this through is is a very large challenge. And I'm not talking about just a you know, data leadership or one part of it, but it this really is a cultural change and this really requires a very cross-functional team to kind of come together and that leadership to come together to say, look, it makes sense for us to 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 go on this journey. Because, you know, this journey is gonna be fairly messy in nature. You're gonna iterate quite a bit. You're gonna come back and come back to the drawing board quite a bit. You need to have that kind of support and buy-in to say it's okay to fail. It's okay to kind of keep keep going further, um, and this makes a lot of sense uh, generally, right? So I think that was that shift, not just at the leadership level, but the leadership minus one level, and then sometimes even at the operating uh, level, you know, operating uh, ground level. I think that shift to kind of at least get people going in that direction was probably the hardest piece to kind of accomplish. Once the mindset shift starts to happen in pockets or generally, then then this becomes a much easier task, you know, uh, to kind of take on. Uh, can I just uh, another question, follow-up question to that, uh, Sid? So, is it from a? I mean, the the buy-in becomes challenging from a cost perspective. You think, or I mean, it's it's a, it's a big concept, but. What is the most challenging part? Is it you know getting the, the the financial aspects in place or the value that this will add? What do you believe? I I think um, it it's not so much at least in our case it wasn't so much to do with the financial aspect uh, because there were really large problems with the current ecosystem. So we you know everyone knew this was breaking. So I think that was not the hard part. The it's a it's a philosophical change in mindset there's a precedence to how things were being done. And you're trying to undo the precedence. You're trying to say, look, certain people who were not responsible for doing certain things are now starting to become responsible. So that kind of a shift in mindset to say that, look, uh, you know, uh, we're going to change the way we are going to work to, to some extent. That shift is the hardest part. So it's more of a cultural shift, not so much of financial uh, buy-in or things like that. Thanks. Um, Duncan and Stefan, what do you uh, think is uh, you know the challenge here? One, what is the biggest? Um, well, I, I think um, Sid kind of touched on it a little bit. For for me, in um, in the organisations I've worked in, I think it's it's about ensuring you've got a solid business case there. 
Um, uh, and I totally agree with everything Sid said. You know, that cultural, that adoption, really big challenges. But we're asking typically very conservative firms. Banks, by nature, are conservative. You, you want them to be conservative. And we're asking them to take a... Uh, a jump onto new technology. Now, we can look at it and go, we know this is the right thing to do. We know this is the right direction. But we need to justify that to our leadership. We need to ensure that we've done our due diligence. We've looked at the risks and the potential challenges. We've looked at the changes and the impact of the wider organization. And we justify that the investment is worth the return. You know, everything that you do should be to make money, save money, or mitigate a risk. If it's not doing one of those three things, and preferably more than one of them, then you've got to question that investment. Is it really doing something for the firm that you you want it to? So I think building that solid business case to justify what you needed it to do wasn't necessarily a challenge. I would say it's a compulsory first step. For me, that was that was vital to get buy-in, adoption, belief, and credibility through an organization. Yeah, I can only add on this. Uh, I think this cultural change is the most important thing. But for us here, the, the, what is behind is a paradigm shift of ownership. Because we really have this uh, culture of uh, creating silos, of protecting what you have, and have anyhow full backlogs of stuff. And now you're thinking data democratization, and we have the term a lot, which means you should you know change the attitude of, I'm happy to have work. I'm happy to share my data. I'm happy to describe it properly. And I mean here business descriptions, and I don't mean technical descriptions, right? So this is effort, and people should embrace the effort. And how do you get a buy-in for embracing effort? This is like super uh, contra-intuitive, uh, uh, right? So from this perspective, to get the buy-in from top, that the goals of the people that are then in responsibility are supported and data publishing is supported, and this mindset change may happen, what my colleagues here just said, this is really the biggest challenge to change on the cultural level. I'm, I'm learning so much, you know. Sorry, I'm, I'm taking a little while here because I'm just trying to grasp what you guys are saying. And I think it's so... Uh, so what I hear is that culture plays a big part. Uh, the culture of the organization and getting everybody on the same page with you. Totally, I, I buy that too. But then, uh, so we, we talked about the challenge um, and you guys who are working with it, if if I had to say, so what needs to be in place for a successful data mesh to be working? Because you have been working with it now. Is it, do we say it's only the culture or what other element do you think really needs to be in place? That's a trick question, right? <laughs> No, not really. I mean, also your memory and say, okay, from all the, you know, the, the the challenge that I've had so far, yes, you've got the culture in place now because you've got the buy-in. But if there's, I mean, from a technology standpoint or, or anything else that you say, you know, I absolutely see that this is this, the, the success factor. I'm just asking it's a trick question because I think there's there's an academic answer to this, which I heard on conferences a lot and which, for example, Gartner shares and so on. When you say, you're not ready for data measure if you don't have the certain govern, governance uh, maturity, for example, which means you need to have the metadata, you need to have the rules of data access and so on. Um, I think it's more the typical change management topic. If you don't have the sense of urgency, the data demands are increasingly high and you have a lot of pain points for business to say, guys, we need to do things differently. 
then you are on the right path to change it towards that journey. Because if you just do it for doing data mesh and you just do it for the, I don't know, the, the, the publicity, and you do it because it's a trend, but actually everybody gets the data that they want and nobody has a pain point and everybody loves to throw the stuff over the fence to IT so nobody will follow the change, then uh, you are not ready. Totally with you. For me, it's delivery, delivery, delivery. If you are not delivering, you are not you are not doing anything. You are not moving the organization forward. And it's a really fine balance between theory, strategy, and direction and credibility, execution, and delivery into the hands of users. For me, you can start off with a great idea. You can have the biggest and bestest uh, bestest uh, business case you can think of. You can have the right technology. You can have the right partners. But if you're not regularly delivering additional incremental value into your users' hands, then your credibility is shot. And your longevity in the organization, your sponsorship will be lost. So you've got to deliver. Agree. Because when... um you know, when, if, when Stefan says there's a sense of urgency, uh, uh, which, you know, yes, it, it doesn't quite work with, oh, by the way, this is going to be, you know, a two-year plan or whatever, because then your sense of urgency is kind of lost. So, but I, I get what you say, Duncan, you, you know, you, we have to deliver in bits so that, you, you know, you're both, you're getting them excited uh, about what's next to come, but also giving them something to work with. Um, yes, uh, agree. Sid, yes. I had a thing to add here. Actually, uh, interestingly, one of the one of the things that I was trying to understand when we were in the beginning of our journey here uh, on Mesh was to understand, you know, how much time are people taking to actually develop this, uh, you know, into a full, you know, or embed this within the organization. And I think it was very important for us to understand and then make the organization understand that this is a at least a three to five year journey and you know to even get to a res- you know a respectable place where you know uh so so i think uh i think that was also important for for us to explain to the organization so i i understand the sense of urgency and 100 percent month on month you have to deliver and show speed show incrementality show show value um but but I think from a general mindset standpoint, you know, what also happens when you kind of take on an initiative like this is pretty much all the burdens of the world kind of fall onto this initiative. And just to explain to the world that, look, this is a larger, you know, I mean, this is a longer term problem statement to kind of solve for. Uh, I know Duncan and Stefan, you guys are smiling. So, so I'm sure you've probably heard similar things or felt similar things. But that's also very critical to understand. At least at the leadership level, people have to get it that this is this is a transformation journey. It takes a few years to even get it, uh, you know, going. So, so, so you have to strike both both ends. See, did, did all the people think that's the silver bullet now that solve all the problems? <laughs> yeah, D- dump everything into this and then uh, exactly. So. <laughs> That was of the data lake as well. Yeah, it's going to solve all the problems. Just put your data in there, and it, you know, magic will come out. Um, I'm I'm curious, uh, gentlemen, what kind of organization needs to be in place? Well, what are the roles that you have created to make sure that you know the the data mesh structure is working efficiently towards 
uh, all the parties, uh, the domains involved. What can you give me a kind of a rough, you know, so what does that look like? I think we tried to reuse as much as possible. And as I said, we were running through an HR transformation, which was very, very important for being where we are with this. And actually, we have a data governance team. We have a data protection officer. We, we, we just, you know, we leverage this towards scaling. What do I mean with that? We tried it. Our data protection officer now has a group function to support the local data protection officers that we all have sit on the same board and have the same uh, interpretation of the law. We have agile coaches to support us becoming agile in the setup. So what we do is we build data coaches that help people understand the data ecosystem to learn data literacy and get towards to self-service and finding how to get closer as a consumer to the producer. And uh, this needs time. And then you can move on and, and, and support the next ones and the next ones. And this is how you can grow. Otherwise, besides that we reshape this data product ownership role from the data owner role, we, we, we just reused what's there. I, I love that, Stefan. The, uh, the parallel between Agile coaches and, you know, Agile's 20 years old now. We're, we're not talking about something that's come up recently. It's a 20-year-old methodology and approach and mindset. And we have Agile coaches to help us adjust and change that mindset. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it data coaching, um, but that that evangelist role, that education stroke coach, stroke advisor, stroke evangelist to help drive change in an organization is really key. Um, you can look at traditional delivery roles, and I think they're all important. But that evangelist, I'm almost going to call it a salesman. And, and that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But that salesman who's going to push the mindset, help educate and help people get adoption. I think is really key, and and one of the things that's typically forgotten. So for me, that's a that's a really important role on top of more traditional stuff. Uh, I I would love to know this in a lot more detail uh, from from Duncan and Stefan because frankly, we we haven't done a great job at this, uh, Vanessa. Um, uh, you know, textbook answers tell you that you know you should have a data steward and data you know all kinds of different roles. Frankly, those kind of roles have never existed in our organization. <coughs> and, uh, um, you know, uh, the business, I, I think a lot of these roles uh, are still disconnected from the business. Um, so we've, we've really not been able to kind of crack this very well. Um, and so would love to know, you know, like, for example, Duncan, what you said, <coughs> are there uh, specific KRAs for this salesman of a role? Um, I think it all, all depends on the organization, to be fair. I wouldn't like to say that there's a definitive, you must do this, this or this. Um, but it is, I think, important that you measure what you're doing. Now, I, I say that somewhat cautiously because metrics drive behavior and sometimes in ways that you're not expecting or, or understanding. So yeah, I'm very cautious about this, but understanding, you know, from that and it goes back to those quadrants, I suppose. If we go back, the offensive role is that evangelist sales guy role, getting the information out there. You can't have that on its own without the data governance. And you've got to have that person who is is giving the control and the structure and the process. At the same time, you can't do this without technology and the technology leadership. And lastly, you've got to have your business transformation. Because if you're not changing the business, and uh, what one of my key phrases is, it's okay to build something new, but you've got to get rid of something old as well. 
And that's part of that ROI. You can't build a data mesh, but not decommission legacy data stores or data structures. It's got to be part of that journey. So going back to those quadrants, I think you tend to align a person to each of those roles. And and that's, again, that's what's worked for me. I wouldn't necessarily say that's a got to be done. It's just how we've worked and, and has had success. But being open to adopt that in each of your firms and each of your structures would be key. I would also fully agree. We had we had a role. I built a team which was called data logistics, which was really more like getting data for people, like really doing the job of this data handling for for people. And this developed to data consultants, which are just experts on how to get access and where to find data, because this is a knowledge that you need to build up, right? And they were focused on this. Based on this solid ground of this expertise and the and the tribe that was built around it. This is where we can build up to this evangelists. Data coaches, just because we had the term HR coach already in the in the organization, so it's really just a name. You can call it data consultants 2.0, you can call them evangelists, you can call them salesmen. It's really just about now step up and work with business, work with the cross-functional teams of learning this new ecosystem and get to know how to build the use cases, how to support the use cases, and bring them to a point where they can do this end-to-end themselves. And uh, as, as Duncan said, it depends on your or organization, how they trust this, uh, let's say, training or this, how, they, how they listen to such coaching or the, the mindset of throwing something to IT and hope it's done. Then maybe you need this in-between step of, of having this kind of, uh, of, of a middle role. But this needs to be tackled uh, like individually. But to share the knowledge, to upskill the people, to share what's there, this is, this is what's behind it. I, I totally agree with all of you on the evangelizing part of it. Uh, one of the things that I w- hires that I made while still at Zenzac was an AI change lead, you know, a role that absolutely just invented it because, again, you're doing so much AI or innovation in the office, uh, in the company, that you want to spread that word around and help people to get on the same page with you. So, uh, yes. Those roles are needed and, and it's, you know, creating new roles because some of the old are going to be not not going to exist any longer. Um, and then if we come to the AI part of it, so, you know, AI, ML, we're all working with it. How do you find that? What is your take on, you know, that combined with data mesh ways of working? Do you see any influences I see this, and Duncan made this nice Spider-Man and, and the movie uh, metaphors. Let's imagine the, the the Barbenheimer situation, right? So the Barbie, the nice market robe is like the AI use cases, shiny and interesting. But Oppenheimer is you need the proper data quality to feed them in and the proper infrastructure. So please don't forget data when you talk AI. And uh, this is what we also see. We have a trend now and the, and the, I would not call it hype, but some kind of a high attention on what we can do with AI and how to evangelize AI in our organization using large language models on data cataloging, on uh, data virtualization, on querying, on machine learning, on data science. But it doesn't bring anything if the databases behind the data product that you consume is crap. So garbage in, garbage out, also in ChatGPT, right? And uh, this is still a little bit of a gap for the, those enthusiasts who just want to do prototypes and prototypes and nice use cases with AI. Um, but uh, when you come from prototyping stage to production stage or to operation stage, you will need the data guys again. I, I would go so far as to say that AI is just data. It's taking data in, it's manufacturing data, and it's delivering data out. It's a data product. 
admittedly driven in a different way, but we should think of it as a product, as an outcome. Uh, and totally agree with you, Stefan. If if your data and your underlying inputs into that model aren't good, untrusted, unclear, you're going to get spurious results. A poor data product, dare I say. The quality, governance, and metrics that you put around the outputs from AI models is just as important as what you put onto the inputs. For me, for us also, the data science teams are just another consumer of data in that sense of the uh, uh, the world, right? And so, um, so what really happened is they were able to get to data faster. They were able to generate features, better features faster, things of that nature. So it it just accelerated uh, for us uh, and for them. Uh, the fact that we were able to catalog a lot of this data meant uh, getting to the right data quickly, which would have otherwise taken weeks for us to kind of figure. I think those were really the the initial benefits that we saw that our data data science teams also kind of got. Um, you know, so so I think that's how they went hand in hand. Thank you. Um, so, so then, uh, you know, where do we see data mesh heading in the next three to five years? I mean, because technology is evolving, right? Any any thoughts? I mean, what's your what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Adaptation, honestly. I, I, I think whatever somebody wrote three years ago in the book about data measure will be released in another version in, 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 the, in another year and you will have colors and shapes of data measuring very, very difficult at different and, and different scenarios and organizations. And I think that data measures the term is a means and what is behind is important, as I said in the beginning, data products, data quality, data access, availability, all that stuff. And the label may be changes, but the principles, how to deal with all the problems of big data demand, this is uh, still there. Yeah, if I was to to look in from from my perspective, I don't really know, uh, to be brutally honest. Um, but I think it is definitely going to heavily evolve. And I think it's going to be the the external pressures and factors upon data mesh. So you're going to get more adoption. It's going to become more commonplace. And I think I think that's that's definitely a given. It solves direct business problems that we see now. That will lead to greater adoption, greater usage. And the more usage you get, the more commonplace it becomes. The more different use cases or problems that are applied to it, the more the concept will evolve. And you you know, it's it's all about just advancing the the human education and knowledge just one little bit in different directions. What those directions would be, I don't actually know. But I think I think AI is definitely going to be one of the drivers to causing that evolution. But I, I couldn't say in three or five years' time it'll look exactly like this. You know, who knows? But it's going to be fun watching it and seeing what happens. Absolutely. Uh- the fun part, I totally agree with. It's got to be fun to see how how this moves ahead. Sid, what's what's your thoughts? Um, uh, yeah, we keep thinking about this a lot. Uh, uh, see, I think um, there are a few waves, right? There are there's always a wave of centralization and decentralization that keeps happening. You know, we centralized, brought all the data together, then we started federating it. So I'm also keen to understand how does this kind of move forward, right? Uh, once we federate some of the ownership, how exactly will will, will a lot of this work? Uh, um, I'm also keen to understand with organizations to say, you know, because a lot of this also depends on how organizations' uh, power structures work, frankly. 
in in a lot of cases. So uh, you know what what really comes out of the shape of data mesh. Uh, I mean, for different organizations, will be very interesting to see. Like what Stefan was saying, you know, there can be many different ways of crafting it. Um, so that will be also be very interesting. I think some of the core tenets of the mesh uh, around governance, um, uh, around um, around some of some of the core tenets, right? I'm hoping those stay because I think that will anyway be critical irrespective. Uh, but what shape it takes really is organization dependent. You know, there's always a wave of centralization and decentralization. So I'm I'm also curious to see how how this moves uh, in different organizations. Yeah, I think uh, it's 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 clear that the future is exciting. You know, it's uh, I mean, it, it's amazing what technology has done so far. So, and it's really cool to see how this is going to proceed, gentlemen. It has been so much fun talking to you. I have learned so much. Thank you. But now, um, if if you have one sentence, you know, what would the your takeaway uh, be? At least for our audiences, what's the message? You know, data mesh challenging, data mesh fun, data mesh evolving, you know. Um, Duncan, let's go with you because you're on my screen first. Oh, excellent. Um, in that case, I would say my takeaway, always be curious. Uh, and that's a really easy thing to say. I'd never, I never knew what I was doing with data mesh. It was an education and a learning experience, and it's always a learning journey. Every day, I'm finding out new stuff. I'm having new ideas. We're trying new things. There, there's no set rules. There's no set standards per se. Be curious, adapt it, see what you can do with it. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, fully agree with that, and I would would just add like don't be afraid, like don't be scared of this because you will cross bridges when you get there. You will find your ways through. You will adapt this to your organization, and rather start with use cases to create value and have the first steps into this journey than figure out everything up front, define everything to the core, and then you know lose two years and then it's not applicable to your situation anymore. Get going and don't be scared. Thank you, Sid. Yeah, for me, uh, I think it's a it's a journey uh, you should take. Learn learn a lot from others' experiences. Uh, sh uh, share a lot. I think that that's very helpful. It helped us quite a lot. Um, I think that's that's my piece of uh, what what to expect. Yeah, and I, I think I you know I've put the uh, in big caps culture. Um, you know, learn a lot and and also evangelize. Uh, you know. It's I've learned so much just being on this panel with you guys. So I think there's there's so much more if you just share the knowledge. There's so much more to to learn from one another. So thank you very much for being on this panel together with me. I hope you had just as much fun as I did. Thank you, very much. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'd again like to thank our participants today, our facilitator, Vanessa Erickson, who's the CEO of Vanessa Erickson AB, and our panelists, Duncan Cooper, who's the Chief Data Officer for Northern Trust Asset Servicing, Sid Shaw, who's the Head of Data Monetization and Platform at Airtel, as well as the guest of Episode 258, and Stefan Zima, who's the Data Transformation Lead at RBI, or Raffaison Bank International AG as well as guest of episode 270. You can find a link to all of their LinkedIn's in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I, I swear, they give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning 
journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show. Almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com, for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.